all. Welcome to Cross Politics on the Fight Lab Feast Network. Campus preacher Keith in the house. Chuck Knox, the water boy. Pastor Toby Steele on vacation because he needed. He passed her. <laughs> he passed her a lot of bunch of sinners. But we so miss him. It. I mean, we like you, Keith. Yeah. We like you yeah. but we a lot. But feeling nice. I'm feeling uh, nice. If you guys haven't too. figured out at this point, we've actually restructured our podcast stream so you can actually ind- individually download each show within the podcast or yeah. you can get the yes. Fight Lab Feast podcast and it streams all, everything within the network. So yes. various ways. So you can just get daily news briefing or subscribe to that podcast or Cross Politics or In the Bullpen or Campus Preacher. Or you can subscribe to Fight Laugh East US or Fight Laugh East Canada to get the various streams that are going on. So we're doing that for your listening pleasure. This year, our national conference is in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 6th through the 8th. Um, you should you should know that. The theme of this year's conference is lies, propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge. Satan is the father of lies, and the mother of those lies is a government who has rejected God, who hates God. So mark your calendars for October 6th to the 8th and head to Knoxville as we fight, laugh, and feast with fellowship, beer, and psalms, our amazing lineup of speakers, and hanging with. Man, I can't. I, I love hanging with our vendors and meeting new friends. Uh, can't wait. Can't wait to We're be in Knoxville. We're going to get our humidors out there. It's going to be fantastic. Today is the last day. That's that's today, Thursday, to register for I early bird that, registration. Yes. Oh, okay, I did say that. For this time, uh, uh, for real this time, uh, Fixing, correcting knocks. Sign up now, fightlaughfeast.com. Mm. All right. As the SCOTUS row ruling ramifications continue to roll out, you like and that SCOTUS row mm-hmm. ruling yeah. ramifications? I'm glad you made that. Alliteration. Mm-hmm. To shake out, it become, it's become clear to me that the left is wholly inadequate for this debate. <laughs> the majority opinion spent over, that's Clarence Thomas. Well, they those killed guys, babies. Right? Yeah, they're not they, uh, exactly. Babies. They spent uh, the majority opinion spent of over two hundred pages arguing for the historical and constitutional basis for ending Roe, and the minority opinion just ignored it. They didn't really even reference it. Justice Sotomayor back in December said the Scotus that Scotus will not survive the stench if Roe is overturned. <laughs> They've gotten used like, to stinking for yeah, a long yeah, time. Ernie lost there somewhere. Uh, and in the minority opinion, they barely even quoted the Constitution. Read it for yourself. And when they did, they regurgitated the weak constitutional argument presented in the 1973 Roe decision. Quote, the court explained that a long line of precedents, quote, founded in the 14th Amendment concept of personal liberty, protected, protected individual decision making related to marriage, procreation, Contraception, yeah. family relationships, and child rearing and education. They were so the minority opinion was quoting Roe v. Wade. Uh, uh, it, that was a quote from there quoting Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Okay. That was, and, and so they referenced the Fourteenth Amendment. That was the best liberal justices could muster. A vague reference to the Fourteenth Amendment. Now take that same hand waving and watch the liberal pundits wave their hands at what the Bible says or or doesn't say about abortion. They need to understand the truth about what's in the Bible and what's not in the Bible. It's important because that's been used on the right to justify this. Um, You know, it's so fascinating that conservatives, so-called conservatives, have long said, oh, abortion, uh, Roe needs to be overturned because abortion is never mentioned in the Constitution. Well, Rev, it's also not mentioned, as you know, better than anybody in the Bible. It's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not mentioned in the Gospels. It's not mentioned by Jesus, not one time, which is why my church, uh, the Southern Baptist Church, uh, was still 
pro-choice through the 1970s said women should have the decision uh, on oh, their own and that the centralized state shouldn't step in and take that decision away from them. This is this is very recent development and that truth needs to get out because I think right now Democrats feel like they're hamstrung by the fact that, oh, well, we can't talk about it because this has to do with the Christian faith. No, it doesn't. This has nothing to do with Jesus. Let me say oh, it again. This has wow. nothing to do oh. with Jesus. This is political, especially for evangelicals. 79, 1980, Catholics, it goes back to the 1930s. But this is a recent development, historically. And Democrats need to understand that. And they need to be aggressive. They need to go after voters uh, and, 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 and need to get the truth out there. I mean, you know, Joe, he's tripping. What, what church is Joe a part of? I don't know. Southern Baptist. Yeah, Joe's Joe's told like so, so you have two things. Let's let's grant that American evangelicals were pro abortion until nineteen seventy three. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're right. Yeah. There are plenty of things <laughs> right. that the American evangelical yeah. church yeah. is wrong on. So yeah. like this idea that it's a recent come up and with the church sort of thing. That's simply not the case. You can go back. Obviously we believe it's biblical, but yeah. the Didache, Clement, even through Augustine, all these individuals, Mount church Sinai. History, all, yeah. And going all the way back. <laughs> and, because they do, and, and what they're looking for, it's kind of like, it's kind of your typical apologetic confrontation say with a Muslim where it's like, where does Jesus say I am God? And so if you don't have abortion as yeah. a word, it's kind of a form of fundamentalism. And I think what we need to realize <laughs> Interesting. A, a, as Christians we have to go back to the garden. Mm-hmm. When God made Adam and Eve, what do they do? Mm-hmm. He told them to go be fruitful and multiply. There is no way you could convince me that a Israelite woman be fruitful Eve, and multiply, and they kill it if you don't want Eve it. Eve would have been thinking like, "Oh, you know what? Let's kill this." You know yeah. what I mean? And and starting in Genesis three fifteen, there's enmity between the seed of the woman and yeah. the seed of the serpent, and there is no way that the godly line is going to crush their seed. Mm-hmm. And so. This idea that it's you know a Johnny come recently thing is I, I would just say completely contradicted the Bible. But you also have an Exodus. I think it's twenty one. Let me see here. Oh, dude, you preach? He's, he's going. <laughs> you am, preach. I, am I getting carried no, away? No, no. Uh, twenty one. So twenty one twenty two says this: If men fight and hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet yeah. no harm follows, yeah. he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge is determined. Yeah. But if Lake any house. harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth yeah. for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So, so if an accidental death of a fetus, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, comes out mm-hmm. stillborn, if an accident produces that, how much more from a lesser to a greater, if in an accidental death... Uh, you get this punishment. Mm-hmm. How much more should an instance where you intentionally kill right. the child? You get the punishment. So yep. starting from Genesis chapter one and the unfolding of the story. Yep. Well, um, because because it, she didn't get to choose. That was the problem. It was choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the, the choice. Whole, the whole idea is choice. And I don't yeah. think there would have been any category for, yeah, this is not a life when John the Baptist leaps in his leaps mother's in womb, womb and yep. all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the biblical narrative from the very beginning of Genesis, that the whole conflict, and that's even what Roe v. Wade is all about. What did Pharaoh do? He started killing the, as the children were coming, he was killing them. What happened when Jesus was born? They start killing the babies. So don't mistake what happened with Roe v. Wade as not being a spiritual battle. That it's not deals with a serpent seeking to crush the heads of the seed of the woman. And Jesus ultimately will crush the head of of the serpent. He has crushed the head. 
he crushed the head through the Romans church in uh, Romans chapter 16. I think it's something he's doing uh, through us mm-hmm. now in time and space. So mm-hmm. I just think we need to continue to march forward and make them prove their case uh, that, mm-hmm. all right, where, where does the, you know, let's have this Bible discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they don't I want welcome this. Yeah. I, I'm like, finally, we got to the Bible. We talking about Roe v. Wade, <laughs> yeah. law, constitution. And, and what's and it's funny, like, finally uh, well, now uh, the Bible. I'll, I'll yeah. leave it be for a second because I think uh, we need Al's response. Well, but, yeah, that's the thing that uh, Joe Scarborough brought in the expert, which was Al Sharpton. <laughs> Well, not only uh, do Democrats need to aggressively go out there, real Christians that really study the Bible ought to be incensed. I've been a preacher since I was a little boy. I am incensed and insulted that they have hijacked the Bible and Jesus to distort and misquote well, it's not even misquote, create quotes that are not there to justify a right wing a kind of ideology that would take away the rights of women and then schedule to take other people's rights. And and what is strange to me is, Joe, they can see a scripture that is not there about abortion, but they couldn't see love your neighbor when it came down Mm. to uh, putting things through that would help the poor and help the needy. They couldn't see that. They didn't see Jesus healing the sick when we were dealing with affordable health care. The things that are in the Bible they missed, and they put things that were not in the Bible there and many gullible and insecure Democrats who probably hadn't read the Bible themselves got nervous if they would read the Bible and fight back. They got to they decide. Do they want Christian wow. nationalism or not? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's like ooh, Christian <laughs> nationalism. That's oh, great, socialized yeah. medicine? Let's have us. And, yeah. and so, yeah, what does Jesus teach? In no way is he teaching Socialized medicine. It, it, now, if Al Sharpton wants to run you around and heal people, you can't find socialized medicine in the Bible, yeah, like abortion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't find yeah, it. We'll use that I'm argument. sorry, I just had to say this real quick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Keith, you can finish. No, I, that, I, it was just the idea. Like, it, it's so frustrating because in one breath, and that's what we have to be willing to lean in on. In one breath, they're going to tell us, "Oh, Christian national, Christian," and it's to put you on the defensive. Be like, "Oh, yeah. you sound like some person who's going to oppose yourself." But they're, but they're, they're, they're gonna, yeah, they're going to oppose. They're, they're yeah, going right. to appeal to Jesus. In the next breath, so we have to, their, to their own nationalism. Yeah, Man, yeah. Keith, you know, so I have, I was, I just want to let you talk because I have all this. I read the whole opinion from the majority. Two hundred. No, no, no. Pages. I think you got that wrong. It's two hundred and thirteen pages total. But it's got an appendix I, on it. An appendix, but I but, think, I think but the that, appendix is like pretty rich. It, oh, it's like sixty. How many pages, Lydia? It was like fifty-two. I have my kids times two. Yeah, yeah, 52. yeah 52. Like, Jeez, I heard some math before the show yeah, that came out to fifty-two. Okay, I don't remember so exactly. Like twenty-six <laughs> double-sided pages yeah, at the yeah. end of the day. But that was the thing. Like, okay, so I actually read through the majority of this, and uh, actually, I read almost all of it except for half of the dissent. And what one of the first, well, I didn't really read Kavanaugh's. I didn't really care what Kavanaugh no, no. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed was I feel, I feel like a, so I'm presuppositional by nature. That's my, uh, yeah. and I feel like a, um, a, a, what do they call, what's the other guys? What's Evidential. That? Evidentialist. I feel like an evidentialist yeah. going through yeah, this because true. I'm like, yeah. you have to be completely yeah. disingenuous to think that the information that was given, they gave you an education. Yeah. In the majority opinion, they took you through common law. And here's just one of the I was going to go through the, a bunch of statements, but you did such a great job, Keith, kind of summing this up. But just listen to this. This is how they end, end with everything. The inescapable conclusion is that the right to abortion is not deeply rooted in, in, in the nation's history and tradition. 
On the contrary, an unspoken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted from the earliest days of common law until 1973. They even go on to say 185 years after the the ratification of the Constitution, all the states had abortion illegal on it. Even in the common law, they had a law that was called, okay, if the baby was quickened and the quickening is mother feeling it, moving her body, a kick or a move, whatever the movement is, and somebody harms a mother, that's considered malice murder, right? If the child dies. And they said, even if it wasn't quickening, right, if they hadn't felt it, then you have to think about this. Quickening is like, okay, we know for sure that the mother is pregnant with the child. Pre-quickening is like, okay, we know that she's pregnant, but we don't know if the child is actually alive yet, right? Mm-hmm. So if they had the information that we have, they would have been like, oh, yeah, conception, easily. No yeah. question. With but pre-quickening was still murder. Mm-hmm. And that was on the books. And that they went all the way back to the 13th century <laughs> up until 1973. And nobody on the other side posed an argument of any substance historically no, no. to say that abortion has always. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, you know, but so, that, so it's interesting. Scarborough says, hey, this is a new phenomenon. No, you're the new guy on the block. Mm-hmm. But it, you've moved yourself away from history. Yeah. And, and, and it, yeah, he moves. Like I already repeat myself, but he's. Uh, remove themselves in two ways. First of all, the, the church has always held this position. There's a guy, Michael Gorman, Google Michael Gorman, abortion church history, has a wonderful article where he lays it all out. But like the church has historically opposed it. And one of the things the early church did was looking after the orphan and the widow. That's, that's, right. that's, that's one right. of the ways that they overturned the Roman Empire. Because they would discard yeah. these babies left and right, they like would. what America's doing. Yeah. Um, and they were willing to take them on. They would throw them at the garbage dumps and they, they would go there. So that's some work for us to do. Mm. All right. Well, next. Man, next. you don't want to miss next. So come on now. We're gonna go back to the Uvalde shooting and talk to our principal here at Logos. That's right. Principal Wally Wiggins. You don't want to miss what he has to say about security. You're gonna need it, especially if your kids are going to a Christian school. How do you need to be thinking about it? He's got some suggestions. More cross politics with Walter Wiggins next. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations, the world's largest classical Christian homeschooling community. I'm launching a new podcast, Refining Rhetoric. If you like cross-politics or just listen to hear what crazy stuff they're saying today, you will enjoy Refining Rhetoric. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I practice the 15 tools of learning by interviewing great guests, looking at current events, and talking about cryptocurrency. Armored Republic exists to honor Christ the King by providing tools of liberty to free men. New York State just banned body armor. Armored Republic is suing the state of New York in federal court to resist their arrogant war against your God-given rights. Mass shootings are tragic acts of evil that are best resisted by armed citizens and brave watchmen ready to fight back. The main violent threat to human life is not individual criminals, it is tyranny. This is Armored Republic. Fair. Check, check, check. There should be a beat right there. Oh. I like that. I like that. You weren't ready for that. Hey, y'all, you? welcome back. I was not. Oh, yeah, that's right. Cross politics. We got uh, some new toys over here. We. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah. Thank you to our club members. That's right. They sound oh, better because we're of able them. to upgrade As our, of don't our, touch. our board. As yeah. of today, don't touch. Keith, no touch. No he, touch. He, he will not touch. He will. He's going to uh, touch. Pretty excited. <laughs> uh, thank you to our club members for supporting us. Yes. We're able to buy and upgrade some of our studio. We occasionally can do that. So yeah. This episode is brought to you by Story Real Estate Home. 
where you build your legacy. Except for Keith Darrell. Where traditions are started, seeds are planted, mills are shared, and stories are told. Wow. Home is where you prepare to go relief. out into the world. Finding it's not very good. Finding the home that's perfect for your family is a big job. It is, especially with all the inflation. Story Real Estate is at Moscow's top real estate team. They give people real estate advice all over the country, so you can reach out to them even if you're in Texas, let's say. Family homes, investments, land, and new construction or commercial, they know real estate. If you've thought about a move to Moscow, which I know a lot of you have, um, especially in California, you sell your house and they come here and pay cash, you know, kind of kind of hurts us locals here or anywhere in the but country. We're happy to have reach you out to get connected with Story Real Estate Agent. Wherever you're going, they can help guide you. Visit storyrealestate.com. And of course, always when you do these things, mention Cross Politics Saint. You would yeah, appreciate that. Absolutely. And for you guys who don't know, we actually did another show earlier with the CEO Michael Seifert yeah. of Public Square. That's you gotta on you gotta check that out. That's on YouTube. Um, and of course it'll be on our podcast also. Um, check it out. Public Square is doing some great work. They, I love um, what they're doing. Love what they're doing, love the vision of what they're doing here. Of course, as you can see, we got Wally Wiggins yes. in the studio. You yes. guys, you guys should know him. Um, he was uh, special ops with um, uh, Bureau of Land Management. Um, <laughs> I, 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 got I got him. I got him. Wow. Yeah. Wally laughs. He's a paratrooper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it got me to laugh because I thought Gabe was serious. Yeah, I thought he really thought it was a Bureau of Land Management. He's like, oh, the special ops are bad men. BLM, bad men. And more importantly, he's the secondary principal at our children's school at Logos School. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming in the studio, Wally. Appreciate you. Hey, Welcome, guys. Good to be here. So, Wally, uh, so I, I was joking, yeah, but he really was special forces for, uh, um, was it? Uh, uh, 26 years. 26 years. 26 years. Uh, nine, nine deployments. Yep, nine. And if I'm the, saying the right language, you can correct yeah. me. Don't, nine don't, combat deployments. Okay, nine com combat deployments and all that stuff. So you got quite the experience, and then now you're principal of our kids' Christian school. <laughs> and then you have, um, you know, the school shootings that have been happening, and, yeah. and then we had the Uvalde uh, shooting. We've had... Uh, a number of guests on, including Nate Spearing, and you—you you actually managed Nate. You were Nate reported to you. Yeah, um, we were in the special forces. Yeah, well, yeah, we? exactly. We were in the same unit together. Yeah. Um, deployed a couple of times together. Wow. Um, so yeah, he's a great friend, and yeah. um, and it was it was great to work with him. So when the, when the Uvalde shooting happened, it got us. We we actually. I mean, obviously, we had kids in school. We're concerned about these kind of things, and uh, we um, and Knox got to talking to you yesterday. Yeah, which which triggered like we got to get Wally in the studio. Yeah. The special forces principal of Christian school. Him and Nate know each other. Him and Nate, you know, how how you when you see things like the Uvalde shooting, how do you process that as principal of our kids' school? <laughs> yeah. Emphasis. Well, I, I think the first thing is we we take. We take a look at at what happened, and and it and it takes time for um, for us to unpack um, uh, an event like that because, mm -hmm. like Nate talked about, you don't have all the information um, at once. Yeah. It takes yep. time for that information to come out. Um, but we want to take uh, the lessons learned um, from Uvalde and from other school shooting incidents, and we want to use that um, to learn and mm -hmm. to help improve uh, mm -hmm. what we do at Logos um, so that, uh, you know, our parents, our clients um, can rest assured uh, that we're going to do everything we can uh, to protect their children. Don't, don't miss what yeah. Wally just said I there. Know. Oh, I know. He said our clients, like, yeah. right. like I'm, I'm the right. client. That's right. The public school system doesn't think you're the client. Yeah. They think your kid's just theirs. 
you know, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, so I, we, that, were, we were talking before the show. You said that yeah. you know you we talked yesterday, and you said, "Hey, Nate had some really good observations yeah. about what happened." But even those were incomplete because we hadn't gotten nearly as yeah. much information as we have now. I think we're close towards the end of getting the last media. There'll probably be more, of course. Yeah. But we have we know more now than we did then when we had that conversation. How are you processing what we know now in light of? Um, the conversation with Nate. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing that I got out of that is that we have a tendency to make assumptions about our own security. Um, we operate in our day-to-day mm-hmm. basis mm-hmm. in uh, in the comfort um, of feeling fairly secure. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you have, you know, that that's, that's how you actually go about um, living, right? Yeah, that's right. You have to have some assurance um, of security. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I saw in in the in the after action reports of uh, the Uvalde shooting is that we rely upon our local police departments um, to be that source of security, and and that may be um, a faulty assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I you know and I. I hate to say that, and I never thought that I mm-hmm. actually would mm. um, say that. But one of the things that Nate really did a great job of, of um, pulling out is that what's the environment that our that our PDs are having to endure, um, yeah. especially mm-hmm. since uh, CRT you know, the, training, yeah, and the, stuff, and yep. the, the mm-hmm. killing of George Floyd and the and the movement to defund the police and to treat um, you know public servants um, as if they're doing some great evil. Um, that causes hesitation mm. at the time when you don't want to hesitate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so it's not that I would necessarily, um, you know, question the, the, the competence, the equipping, um, the training um, of our police, de- uh, police departments. But the fact is you don't know. Mm. You, and, and you're waiting on somebody to make a decision to intervene and solve a problem and you don't know if they're actually going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas uh, a a trained, and when I say trained, it's very it's limited, limited training and limited uh, you mm-hmm. know, limited ability to solve problems in that kind of situation. But at least a team of uh, of of administrators, teachers that are right there on campus that know that campus mm-hmm. that knows know those children. Mm. Know that um, door. Know know that door. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. You know everything about that door. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I'm there. Yeah. And I'm equipped to some extent to be able to solve that problem. So we, we got to. We're gonna. We're gonna try and solve that problem. So, your principal of Uvalde. Mm-hmm. How do you respond? Um, the uh, one once once you understand that. Um, there are shots being fired um, within the walls of your school. Um, you move. You move to the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, depending on you know, are you are you properly equipped um, yeah. or not? Um, you've got to come up with a couple of options very quickly to try and change that attacker's. Um, calculus. But mm-hmm. you, you even talked about this yesterday with me, which I, I hadn't thought about because it's been, 
um, suburb life can sometimes make you really soft, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure. And one yeah. of the things that you reminded me about was making yourself a hard target. Yeah. And you said that was like, that needs to be a presupposition even yeah. before you even talk about the shooting. Explain right. that though. Yeah. So uh, making yourself a hard target, it, it really starts with worldview. Mm. At, at, you know, it really, the basis is worldview. Do we understand um, the nature of man? Do we understand that uh, men uh, do evil mm-hmm. and that, uh, and that there is an actual spiritual war that is going on and snake and Satan wishes to snuff out, um, mm-hmm. that which reflects, um, the, the creator. Uh, and so knowing that, um, we, we come with the assumption that there are people in society that wish to do us harm. Mm-hmm. And because there are people that wish to do us harm, we have a duty and an obligation um, to provide security for those people that we are responsible for. Um, name, first of all, with the family. Mm-hmm. We have a duty to uh, secure and protect our family. Now, from a school perspective, um, we don't have responsibility for the students, that responsibility is the parents. Mm. But those parents delegate authority mm. to us as administrators mm. and teachers to protect their children while they are in our charge. Yeah. And we've got to take that really seriously. Mm-hmm. Just as you know, the same thing with um, with our with the education that we're providing to them, our our parents are trusting us that we're going to educate them in the way that is in alignment with their values. Same thing with security. It's it's interesting to me that um, when we talk about, particularly like Uvalde, it's one of the most recent ones, um, I didn't think of it literally until this interview. Like, where was the principal at Uvalde? We don't know. Like, uh, like how come, how don't come, how come we don't look at the schools and say, man, what was the staff doing? Why aren't they helping? Well, it's because Why of what he they- said. He's like, we have a built-in <laughs> system that the police do that. Right. right. It, it's, it's wired into us. Well, if something goes wrong, that's why the first thing everybody asks, what was the first thing everybody asked? Is there a police officer on site somewhere that's supposed to be campus officers? It's like, well, <laughs> I didn't leave my kids in the position in the, with the authority of the police there. I left them with the authority of the, the school. Yeah. That's who's responsible in a lot of ways. You know, I still want to go back. I want to know what you have on this piece of paper because that's oh, yeah. intriguing. Mm-hmm. But there is something to about making a hard target that people I, that I've been around who don't know. Like I learned that from being on the streets. When there is a way that people will mark you out and they were like, oh, that's an easy win right yeah, there. That, right. Like there's, there's weakness I, I, that there. is yeah. I can get him. Right. Yeah. Like and I know and they'll size you up and they'll oh. be like, oh, yeah, he's a soft target. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can get him. And and when you leave a certain environment, you forget that that's a reality in the world because of sin. It's not in just one place. It's in multiple places. How does how do schools or um, yeah, how do schools and uh, make hard targets of their environment? Well, I think the 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 first as as we talked about, it's that it's that understanding that that you could be a target, and so yeah. therefore you have to you have to make specific decisions and invest specific resources to help you make that school a hard target. Um, the The first thing is, uh, do you have do you have a system? Uh, do you have a plan in place? Mm-hmm. You know, just the process of going through the planning. And uh, and trying to work out contingencies about how how a security team or how an administration is going to work with a problem helps harden you 
Um, mm. It makes you think about, all right, do, what, what's our normal pattern um, within the school? Do we have open doors? Is that a normal thing? Where are those open doors? Who's responsible for those doors? How do we, how do we, how do we secure those, those doors? Do you open carry? Which you guys do. You, do. do you open carry? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and you have obviously you have to uh, understand uh, the laws um, of your municipality and your state, right? Um, in order to be able to uh, to do that uh, legally, yeah. we're yeah. very thankful that, that you know we have a we have a board first of all who has the right mindset, yeah, um, and who has enabled us um, to to uh, have the training and the equipment mm -hmm. that we need to be able to be a deterrent. Yeah. Open carry is, uh, is one way of showing that you're a hard target. Yeah. What does um, that, what does that do outside of people saying, Oh, I might have to think twice about getting through that target. Is that yeah, what it's, I, always, yeah. I always think that they always have the element of surprise. You know what yeah. I mean? So the, the guy showing up to school with an AR-15 right. always, it's not like you guys are like on the roof. Maybe right. you are, I don't know, right. but you know what I mean? No. So, so they always have the element of surprise. Right. So. Yeah. The, the, the question that, that most um, uh, assailants are going to ask themselves is unless they have a specific grudge with that specific uh -huh. school, they're going to ask themselves, okay, what are the chances that I'm going to get shot at yeah. if if I do this? Mm -hmm. um, I'll, or go, the I'll go to the next school up the road I'll go, because I'll go they're the open next here. Yeah, yeah. because that target. because that's a yeah. softer target. Yeah. You you don't you don't again you don't have to be the fastest gazelle. You just don't want to be the slowest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, we, we got to go. What is that on the paper? Because we're going to talk about yeah. this in the club portal. What is that? Yeah. So um, I came up with. Uh, uh, a, a school security framework um, that uh, I'll be sharing um, with uh, other ACCS uh, schools that attend oh. um, our teacher training mm. um, mm -hmm. so that it'll help them think about how to think about security, um, give them some steps that they can take um, depending on, you know, where they are, what resources they have, how big they are. Um, every school security plan is unique to that school. Yeah. But it's good to have a framework so that you can organize your thoughts and put something together. Mm. Ooh, there's some club right. portal content if you, if right here. If you, if you don't have a backstage <laughs> yep. pass, you better get you one. You got, you got to pay for it's this. It's about to go down because some of y'all can't make it. What is it? You guys have an ACCS uh, or you guys do some here at Logos, some training too, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, we'll do teacher training uh, next week. Oh, if you're not going to be there for that, you wow. better get a club portal. Yes, All sir. right. So, hey, if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids and you have kids, go baptize them until tomorrow. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. The season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. All right, so just stay like this. How, how am I doing here? So, yeah, you don't like you don't like this, huh? What does a Christian education look like when non-Christians are the ones who control the institutions of learning? This is a question that confronted Bishop Augustine of Hippo in North Africa in the 5th century AD. Augustine lived at the twilight of the Roman Empire. He himself had been trained with the best learning that Rome at that time had to offer. 
He himself actually came through the ranks and taught rhetoric in some of the best schools. And it was then, after he had come of age, that he converted to Christianity, but he wanted to continue the project of education, but this time for Christians. And so he had to confront the question, what does a Christian education look like when the unbelievers control the field? when they control the institutions, when the whole ap apparatus and curriculum of learning emerge from a pagan environment. And so Augustine wondered, what is it that Christians should jettison? What is it that Christians can embrace? What is it that Christians can adopt, but in modified form? These are the questions that Augustine confronted when he sought to educate Christians in an environment when unbelievers dominated the field. A century later, we see a man in the south of Italy named Cassiodorus who faced a very different educational landscape. He had to ask what did a Christian education look like in an environment where unbelievers had abandoned the project of education altogether. The in infrastructure of learning had entirely eroded. If education was to proceed at all, it had to proceed on the foundation of Christianity. The Christians had to be the ones preserving education. What does a Christian education look like when Christians are the ones forming the institutions, when Christians are the ones organizing the curriculum? Well, these two seasons in the history of education, the season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus, just 100 years apart, were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. We're gonna be studying this story. We're going to be going back to the sources. We're going to go back to Augustine. We're gonna go back to Cassiodorus. We're gonna ask ourselves, which of their predicaments most resembles our own? Which can we learn from Augustine's period? What can we learn from Cassiodorus's period? As we confront these questions, we're gonna engage these sources, and we invite you to join us here at New St. Andrews College.